Welcome to Half Finished to Done, a podcast for passionate business owners like you who are ready to stop procrastinating and start finishing all of your half-done projects. I'm your host, Christina, and I'm looking forward to helping you finish your projects in a calm, sustainable way using a simple, repeatable process. All along the way, we'll be working through the mental, emotional, and logistical obstacles that are standing between you and extraordinary projects. Let's get into it. Welcome back to the podcast. So excited for our guest today, Keela. Welcome. Tell us a little bit about yourself and your work. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to be here. My name is Keela Hill Trawick. I run Little Fish Accounting, which is a CPA firm for really small businesses. And so we provide compliance and advisory services to professional service providers that have tiny teams. Including me. Including you. So yes, (laughs) we work together and I wanted to bring you on the podcast because every single conversation that we've ever had, I feel like is a massive, just breath of fresh air and a big sigh of relief. And I'm like, oh, wait, okay, money is not as scary and daunting as I think it is sometimes. So thank you for doing that work in the world. It's so important. No, I mean, I'm glad to be doing it. It's really a way for me to use my skill in service for businesses that are really a lot like ours. Like, Little fish goes through the same things. We have the same fears. It just happens to be that I don't have the accounting and tax anxiety that a lot of people have because I'm educated in it. Yes. Okay. I wanted to start with an episode about procrastination around finances. We're totally going to get to that, but we just had a super interesting conversation off the mic where I was like, you're so even keeled. Okay. But tell me about your experience being you. I was saying that it's interesting because in the past, I would probably say year, I started realizing that I'm struggling with anxiety and that that anxiety has really manifested itself as work. So I am hyper productive. Like I will get things done. I think it's what makes me an excellent entrepreneur, but it also is a feedback loop of anxiety that the more I do, the more anxious I get. And then the more I do to try to kind of overcome that. And that I initially thought that it was taxes because tax season, I would cry every year. Every year I would have tears. And I was like, oh, it's because it's such a short period and it's such a high pressure time for people that that must be it. And what I realized is it just showed up differently in tax season because it was such a high pressure thing. I was dealing with it all the time. I was just able to kind of manage it a lot better because everything wasn't pulling at me at one time. And so It was interesting when you say about me being even keeled because it's a muscle that I have to exercise. We talked about kind of this spectrum of the levels of anxiety you can be feeling. And when I'm at the top of that, there is no logic, there are no mantras, there are no affirmations that can make me feel better. But in like this morning, there's always this low grade anxiety and I'm able to be like, oh, that's not true. I see you getting worked up. I'm not really worried about that. And as long as I can keep it down there, I can be this. But as soon as it rises too much because I didn't adjust the lever when I saw it creeping up, I'm going to be in the same position as everybody else of like, no one's ever going to pay me again. I'm never going to have what I asked for. I'm doing all the wrong things. I mean, it's the same feelings. I'm really glad you brought this up because I work with people who predominantly go into, if you're looking at a scale of all or nothing, they predominantly go into the nothing category of which is procrastination, right? So you're like avoidant of your emotions, 
your brain's like, great, procrastinate. Perfect. That'll solve it, <laughs> right? But you're speaking to the opposite, which is the all category where you feel the anxiety and instead of the anxiety taking you out, the anxiety goes double down, work harder. And I actually am on that side of the spectrum as well for the most part. Like I don't do a ton of procrastination. I am much more likely to overwork. And so I think that's actually really important because we haven't addressed that super specifically on the podcast yet, but both are ways of outrunning or trying to outrun your emotions. Let's be very clear on that. They're just different mechanisms, but they're the same coping mechanism. Yeah. In some ways you're still procrastinating. Like the fact that I'm going all in on this one thing is probably me avoiding checking my emails or avoiding doing that one small provide this deliverable because I have decided that I'm just going to make the whole social media for the next month instead. And so I think it still does lead back to this idea of you're still avoiding something, but you think that you're protecting yourself by saying, at least I'm doing at least I'm doing something. I have given my all to this one thing, but that often means that it's something else that I'm not touching, which again, creates another loop, right? Because I still have to check my emails. So now I'm avoiding, 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 they're building up. And then I get to a day where I'm like, dig in, go all in on, in this example, emails. But that means I'm probably not doing something else. It's just, it's a weird thing to acknowledge about yourself and learn that in all these ways that you present, there's all this back-end stuff that's happening internally that you're dealing with. Right, which leads us into a conversation about imposter syndrome. Before that, I just want to mention that the thing is when you're trying to outrun anxiety with action, your brain will always find more things to do. It will create more things to do. So I think what happens with a lot of business owners is they're like, there's this amount of things to do and I'm just trying to get those things done and I need to hustle. But I'm like, no, you're not responding to things that already exist. You're creating more things to do. And then you're proving yourself, right, that you can never fully accomplish everything, right? So I just always imagine it like there's a carrot in front of you and you can never reach that carrot. You're always going to be hustling to get it. And the antidote to that is a lot of the work that I do with my clients, which is where are you already okay? Where are you already accomplishing? Where are you already complete with certain things? Well, and it leads to the, like what you're saying is also this idea of correlation versus causation. So because you've created this, like proving yourself right by keep doing, it's like, that's why it worked because I worked 14 hours yesterday. And so I'm just going to keep on doing that over and over instead of looking at like, I didn't even get a chance to see the things that I was doing that already work because I'm creating so many new things. And so the thing, the coaching that you paid for or the financial help that you paid for, or like you don't even get to sit in that and be like, whoo, I'm glad that that worked for this past month. That just goes by the wayside because you've created new ways to make things better when they were already good. You just didn't get to sit in it. Yes, yeah, like sitting in the satisfaction and the pride I was just coaching someone on this on a consult where she was like, it feels so lame to sit down and think about my wins. And I was like, really? Tell me about that. And she was like, she's like, I just shouldn't have to sit down and think about them. And I was like, huh? But like, because her brain's like, it's a waste of time. Let's move on to the other things that have to get done, right? Celebrating myself, what a waste of time. So yeah, this is, yeah, exactly. It's that feedback loop. The other thing I want to point out before we talk about imposter syndrome is that 
when you are constantly taking action, like you said, you're probably avoiding other things in your business, but you're also usually avoiding rest, right? Because rest can feel so intolerable when you're used to taking a ton of action. What are your thoughts on that? Yeah. I had mentioned before that when I told my mom, hey, I think that I'm struggling with ADHD. Like I'm reading all of these symptoms and these things and they resonate really well with me. And she was like, yeah, you mentioned that, but I always thought that about you. Like when you were a child, there weren't like tests and stuff for it. But I just remember thinking she won't sit still. She, it wasn't the kind of hyper, I'm always touching things. It was more of a, she goes from hobby to hobby and she has to be like, I might be super productive in this puzzle and then I'm going to leave this puzzle and then I'm going to practice gymnastics for two hours in the backyard. Like I am going to be in on that thing. And so to your point about thinking about you always doing as an adult, it's been really difficult for me to not do. I call it active rest because even when I think I'm resting, I'm gardening or I'm watering every plant in the house or I'm walking the dog. It's never just like sitting. And when you don't rest, you don't take care of yourself. And especially as entrepreneurs, to your point, there's always work to do. So if I'm sitting and my laptop is nearby, I could just like check on this thing real fast while I'm sitting here. It's resting. It's not like, quote, real work, but you never get space for yourself in that way. And so sometimes I've had to go just outside in the backyard and say, I am just going to sit here and do one thing at a time. Maybe that's reading a book or petting the dog, but like one thing, not listen to music and check my email and check Instagram on three different screens in my lap. I've discovered this terrace near me where I can like go sit and they have the most comfortable outdoor couches. And I have just been spending a ridiculous, like an inappropriate amount, I would say, (laughs) of time sitting. And I turn my phone on airplane mode and I sit. And sometimes I read, but it really does strike me how infrequently I am doing absolutely nothing. And when I do it, and when I let myself be uncomfortable and do it anyway, how relaxed I feel afterwards. I'm like, I feel like I took a Xanax. If I'm like sitting for 15 minutes doing nothing, I'm like, the world is technicolor. (laughs) It's wild. Yeah, absolutely. And you realize that you have more time than you think you do. It gets really easy when we talk about being anxious and procrastinating and all that comes with like this construct of how much time you actually have available. And when you sit and do nothing for 15 minutes, you're like, I got 15 minutes every day. I could do this every day. Like, I'm not that busy. Or that important. (laughs) Right. I could get this out of the way. And so I think that's where some of the rest comes from, too. It's this release of pressure of like, you see how that 15 minutes didn't crash your world? You're fine. Yeah. I love that too. I always joke that I'm like, the good news about procrastination is it shows us that you actually have a ton of available time. You're just not using it how you actually want to be using it. But I'm like, if you have scrolled mindlessly on social media for an hour, awesome. That means you have a free hour. Let's do something that you actually want to do with that time. So great news. (laughs) Exactly that. In our conversation that happened off the mic, I was asking you, do you ever feel pressure to convey an even keeled personality and persona when that's not how you're feeling inside. So can you talk more about that? Yeah. I mean, one of the things that was really clear to me early on is that Black girls don't have space to fail. Not in public, definitely not at work. 
And so I think the idea of imposter syndrome started growing from the time probably that I was in school. Just this idea that you constantly have to show up in almost perfection or as close to it as you possibly can, because any mistake or any anything that doesn't go exactly as planned could make people think that you don't know what you're doing. It is not just you did this piece incorrectly. It is you obviously don't know what you're doing, because if you did, this never would have happened. And so that takes a lot of humanity out of your ability to work because you don't get to be a full person that can be mentored or educated or supported when something goes wrong. Instead, you learn that that should just never happen again. And obviously, perfection is not real. Perfectionism is its own disease. But what I've had to unlearn as an entrepreneur is that my value is not in perfection. Like, I will do my best. I will work in integrity. I will correct anything that is not perfect. And I will make sure that I apologize when I'm wrong and that I don't over-apologize when I'm not. But a lot of that had to be unlearned from the idea that you constantly have to show up in this way that is levels above other people might be expected to show up as because you got to be here. Like when you're the only or the youngest or, you know, and whether that's the only Black person in the room, the only woman in the room, the only both in a department or in a section, You have to unlearn this idea that if you don't do it exactly right every time, you're not worthy of being there. And I think when you talk about kind of procrastination, it also makes you put off other things because you're so committed to the vision of what you're, how are you supposed to have time to like learn the things that you're supposed to learn so that you don't make this mistake? All of your energy is going towards how am I showing up? How am I? learning the next thing to make me great at this instead of how do I learn the basics and the foundations well enough that I can build on top of those. It's like pisses me off. It makes me just like so livid in a powerful way where I'm like, what fucking bullshit. We definitely have an explicit rating on this podcast. Just don't listen in front of your children. But I think that what can happen a lot of times is I'll work with people who like have kind of made the discovery, the self-discovery of like, yes, I'm a perfectionist, right? I have, what that means is I have thoughts in my brain that lead me to seek perfection. But what I think happens is we internalize that. It's like, I got myself into a place where I'm a perfectionist. And I'm like, no, the thoughts in your brain have been influenced by your societal upbringing, by what you were surrounded by and what you experienced. Either people actually said it or people's intent. Or lack of, not their intent, but what came across. So I'm like, I think, you know, we pick up all of these different subtleties and we internalize those, but then we make it a personal problem as opposed to a societal problem. What is your take on that? Yeah. I mean, there's so many isms, right? So you think about everything from racism to feminism to capitalism. Capitalism is built on this idea that I have to constantly make you think that you are missing something so you will buy something else. And everything that you buy, that you pay for, that you invest in is meant to make you a better version, right? And some of those things are good investments. When you're a small business owner, you need coaches, you need experts, you need help, you need delegation, you need to be able to outsource. Like, But you can't do all of the things. And our our society, our economy is built on this thing that 
there are unlimited funds for you to get closer to perfect. And so every time you do something or invest in something, the idea is that you're getting closer to perfect. Whereas what I really want to teach and what I think that you do a really good job of is like your internal work is how you get to be a closer version of the better version of you, whatever better looks like. But like there is no perfect. There is no, I am trying to hit this line. It is more, how can I live in a way that feels comfortable and attract all of the other things around me that help to feed that? But all of the isms are meant to make you feel inferior, to make you feel like you're never going to catch up, but maybe you could if you would just do this thing. And so you constantly think that that's a fault and a burden that you have to carry versus the world is going to keep telling you otherwise. And it's a fight constantly to resist against that. I always think of it as like the world is just always making suggestions to you of how you might be better. And then you get to agree or disagree, right? Like some of the things that let's say just people in my life or, or society will be like, you should fix this. I'm like, no, thanks. I think I'm going to keep that flaw. (laughs) No, thank you. That's not the one I want to work on. And so really like being discerning about what you choose to take on and looking at like, where do I suck? And I'm just going to let myself suck. Right. And making peace with that. Right. Where do I suck? And I'm just going to give it to somebody else. A very small example. And actually this is about procrastination too. So I hate doing laundry. I'm not going to do it. Like I'm going to wash clothes and then maybe two days later, I'll actually take them out the dryer and put them into the basket. And then maybe I'll start folding, but more realistically, I'm just going to live out of that basket until it's time to wash clothes again. And so even before I met my husband, I started taking them to the wash and fold. So I drop them off. Y'all wash them, you fold them, you send them back. It still might take me a couple of days to put them up, but the first two steps are done. And I think domestically, initially, there was this feeling of, why can't you wash your own clothes? Like, why are you spending money to give this up? And a lot of that is like fake voices in our head that are telling us what we should be doing and shouldn't be. But to your point, I was like, you're not going to do it. Why leave it at home and almost never get laundry completed versus just saying, you know what? This is not a hill that I'm willing to die on. So I'm going to keep outsourcing it. I don't really care how much it costs. We're just going to build into the budget that this always happens for me. And so to your point about like the things that we suck at, the things that we just don't want to do, stop making yourself like it. Just decide that you need additional support in that area. Figure out what you can do to get that support. And then focus on the shit that you are good at, the things that you are passionate about, the focus on the thing that you want to do versus I have to do all the things, which isn't realistic. Just preaching to the choir. I'm like, absolutely. We're going to do actually an entire episode on like the things that you can do to simplify your personal life to then free up more time and energy for your business. But I think this is a really important point, which is as a business owner, you have control over your income and your expenses, and you get to work on that balance. So I'm like, if your expenses go up because of things that are making your personal life easier, great. Now your income can also go up. So just keeping a constant eye on that ROI of like, okay, well, what am I spending time and energy on? Does this make sense financially? And if it doesn't, what if I went out and made it make sense? (laughs) Yeah. And the really important part of that is when you delegate, you should be giving away time and space. Yes, you are investing money, 
But what you should actually be doing is creating time and space for yourself to get bigger income. So if I am not thinking about taxes, then I can focus on making an offer that makes me more money. Like the whole idea of you investing in coaches and assistance and help is that this should free you up to be able to create new income streams or show up differently or have time because I'm not doing my bookkeeping so I can record this video that I had meant to do for YouTube or whatever the thing is. And I think a lot of people think about the giving away part, the like, I am investing in this person doing this thing for me, as opposed to the, so that freed up two hours out of my week. Now that YouTube channel that I've been meaning to do, I can do, or the podcast that I wanted to start, I have space to do that because I just gained back two hours. Yes. So not focusing on what you're giving away, but focusing on what you're getting back. And I'll keep saying energy. So you're talking about like you get the time back, the two hours. I'm like, absolutely. And also, you've also freed up additional energy by not feeling bad, looking at your laundry basket, thinking about it and like trying to problem solve it. You're like, no, that's done. All of that mental energy, you've just taken it back. And space for you to rest. So if you get two hours back, you don't have to work. Maybe that's the two hours that you finally get to nap or that you get to sit outside and do nothing. Like the idea is that you have invested in yourself. So that may not always show up revenue wise, but it may show up as I don't feel burned out at the end of the week because I was able to create space for rest throughout the period. I advocate a four day work week. So I take every Thursday off and every single Friday that I come back, I have no resistance. I'm totally motivated and I'm completely energized. And that is only because I let myself rest for an entire day. So highly recommend. We deserve. Yes. <laughs> yes. Okay. Thank you so much for sharing more about your personal experience. I love the term emotional perfectionism. And I was actually talking to another black friend of mine and I told her that term. I was like, it sounds like emotional perfectionism, like the need to constantly have your emotions in check. And she was like, I, she's like, you just broke my brain. I have to go home and just sit and think about that. So for anybody, like think about where is emotional perfectionism showing up in your life. So thank you for bringing up that conversation. Absolutely. I'm glad to be able to share because I think it's important too for people to hear that success in whatever way that looks like for you doesn't protect you from that. And so I think that most small business owners, myself included, think that you'll get to this level. You're like, whew, finally got here and now I can chill. There are different decisions and different fears and different all of those things. But to know from the beginning that if you can manage that, if you can talk to somebody about it, if you can get it out, you're much better prepared as the business grows and succeeds in a way that if you avoid and ignore it for that whole time, by the time you're, say, a million-dollar business, that still resides in you. It just has heightened consequences. I heard once, if you want to get to know yourself, start a business. This is like my working Oof. philosophy in life, right? <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, all oh, your shit will come out, and that's a really good thing, right? If you're in it for that and you embrace that process of the misery, and the torture, best experience ever. <laughs> yeah, there are things that I definitely would not have known about myself if I hadn't started Little Fish. 
I would love to transition because I'm like, we could talk about your background all day because it's so interesting. You're just like interesting to me as a person. But <laughs> let's talk about financial procrastination. So I would love for you to talk a little bit about how you see financial procrastination showing up with your clients. And let's talk about the ways that it shows up in dramatic, like obvious ways, but also in the nuanced, more subtle ways. What do you see? So I would say in the big ways, financial procrastination shows up as like not doing the things, right? So not doing your bookkeeping or not filing your tax return because you're afraid of things like these, hey, I know these things need to be done. And so I'm just avoiding them. I think in a more subtle way, it shows up as not hiring help right? Because if you don't know your numbers and you don't, and I'm not even just talking about hiring an accountant, which I think is important. I think it's also about hiring other people in your business or outsourcing other functions in your business so that you have space to look at your numbers. And so I think that we'll have clients or people on the internet who will say, oh my gosh, like I'm not good at math. And I'm like, you don't have to be good at math. You mostly just have to be organized. But you are making yourself, quote, so busy. I have to do so much. I'm wearing so many hats. I have to do all these things. So I don't have time to look at that when really you're avoiding looking at it by not hiring out the laundry or, you know, hiring out coaching for additional expertise on your team so that you have space to actually face your numbers. And so I think a lot of times business owners will avoid the financial with work or with busyness, or, you know, I can't even face my financials right now. I, I can't get all my things together for my taxes. And I'm like, it wouldn't take that long, but you don't want to start the process because once you start it, you are in, and that can feel really scary. And so people tend to just say, oh, I've just, I've had too much going on. And it's like, yeah, but we could all prioritize. And some of that is built in, right? It, finances are scary. It can be really overwhelming to think about money. And I think some of it too is, I often say that people start businesses to do the thing that they wanted to do and then realize once they start that that's not actually their job anymore. Like now, if you bake and you're an excellent baker and people are like, you should make a business baking cookies. And so you do that, except now you have to do marketing and you have to build a website and you have to do your own books and you have to you know, figure out what the next flavors are going to be like cooking or baking is like the foundation, but it's not even your only job. And so I think it can be easy to put off all of the other things because you've jumped into all of these roles that you weren't expecting to have to take on. What do you do about that? I think the first thing is to stop. If you don't set aside intentional time to work on the business, to think about the like, what tracks need to be laid for the business to run, we can spend so much time doing that we don't know what works. And so one of the things that I've been talking about lately is, let's say, for example, you have three lines of revenue, right? You do three different things. But if you don't take time to stop and say, do all these things make me money? Or like, is one of these a passion project that's actually not paying me? You're just going to keep doing those three things indefinitely and wonder why you don't have as much money as you expected or why you can't hire help. So the first thing I would say is just like, stop, step back and say, what did I make this month? And what did I spend? Even if you don't understand financial statements, you've never seen a P&L, start with a, I made this much, I spent this much. 
I'm about feelings. So I think a lot of accountants are like, and then look at your profit margin and none of that. Start with like, how does that feel? Does that feel like you worked real hard and didn't make that much money? Or does that feel like the right life and you still need to make a little more? And then the second thing is look at the stuff that you understand. It's real easy to look at three lines of revenue and be like, one of those does not pay me. I'm spending a ton of money on marketing and social media help and software and no one pays for this service. And I'm not even saying you should get rid of that service. I just need you to know that the other two got to make up for this now. And so being aware of your numbers, even if you don't understand all the nuances that go into it, I think helps to reduce a lot of the fear, which then can reduce the procrastination. Because once you have a sense of, I made this much, I spent this much, that doesn't feel like enough. You can start making other decisions that you get you closer to the life you want to live, as opposed to just, I did my bookkeeping, my numbers are in there. Let's move forward to the next month. I'm like, wait, wait, go back. What do those numbers tell you? You highlighted three things that I want to reemphasize. The first thing is feelings. We are looking at numbers and those numbers carry meaning. We apply meaning to those numbers. We have thoughts about those numbers that create feelings. So I think this is why I work so well with you because you don't tell me like, it's just numbers. You're like, it is numbers. And also you have emotions about those. So that's the first thing is, is taking the time to be like, okay, where is my mindset around these numbers? Just pausing to, and I would say even self-soothe yourself if you're not getting what you want is take a minute to talk yourself through that. And there's power in that. Like, I want to stop and pause to say, when you look at your numbers and let's say you realize you're not making enough, immediately you can go to try to try something else to make more money. Like one of the things that I was told really on in my entrepreneur journey is you can make your own money. And I remember at the time being like, yeah, duh, you can make your own money. Like that's the point of entrepreneurship. And it was probably a year or two in when I realized, no, actually, if you need $500, you can make an offer that makes you $500. It can be a call. It can be a workshop. Maybe you don't get it all at one time. But if you can see your numbers and say, crap, I'm $500 off on my goal or from making rent or from making payroll or whatever the thing is, you can legit create a thing today to make that $500. But you don't know how far off you are if you don't look at the numbers to begin with. Okay. I always think of the value of autonomy. And I think this is probably the number one reason that I'm a business owner. Like there's a million reasons I can not imagine not being a business owner. But for me, the ability to be autonomous with my decisions and to implement that autonomy immediately is so life-changing. And so like you said, I'm like, yeah, right now, today, in this exact moment, we have the ability to generate money. And even if you don't want to do that, even if you want to think more long-term and you want to plan it out and have it be more strategic, great. But knowing that you have the ability, I love the confidence that that gives you. Great point. Yeah. And nothing is permanent. One, you could do a thing today that's like, I am offering consulting calls for the rest of this month. You don't have to put that on your website and it's now a thing that you offer to everybody. You just needed the $500. So you take your couple of calls and you're like, that service is closed. Thank you everyone for participating and you move on to the next thing. So that autonomy also has flexibility built into it so that you can constantly move levers for the thing that you need. But again, starting from what do I need and your ability to figure that out helps to decide what the next step that you take is. So good. I'll have some people, like I would say the majority of people that come to me to enroll in Half Finished Done Live have the resources to do that. 
But sometimes people are like, I don't have the money right now. And then often they're like, and then I need a ton of time to make that money. And I'm like, I always challenge people on consults. I'm like, what if you just went out and made it in the next week? You're a business owner. Go make the money. And what will happen in that moment when I challenge you is that your brain will kick up every single doubt and hesitation that you have about your ability to make money. And that's a good thing. We want to know where you're lacking confidence because that's the stuff that you can then start putting in place before you even enroll in my program. I'm like, go make money before you enroll. Don't wait until the program started. Right. Make the money now. Make the money to pay for the program now. And then that's not coming out of, quote, current money. It's coming out of money that you specifically generated to pay for this thing. Yeah. Okay. This is super interesting. I I have another episode coming out about this. It's called the Oprah Million Dollar Challenge, but I lead all my clients through this. It's so fun. I'll just do a little preview here because it connects to what we're saying is I'll tell my clients like, okay, you have your project plan and it's going to take you the next six weeks, five weeks. And then I'm like, okay, I want you to imagine Oprah walks in and she has a giant check with your name on it for a million dollars. And she's like, this check is yours tax-free if you finish your project today. And what will happen is your brain goes to town coming up with the easiest stuff that you can do that when you give yourself longer, you overlook those things. Yeah. You're going to take the time that you're given. So like if somebody gives you five weeks or five months, you're going to take that whole time. Most people are not going to jump ahead of it. And so it sounds like kind of part of the antidote to that is like shorten the time frame that you have available so that you'll actually think differently. Exactly. Yeah. It just makes you think more creatively and more efficiently. So just that's a fun aside. I love that challenge. Um, But the other thing that you mentioned with looking at your numbers that we talk about a lot in Half Finished to Done is the ability to self-evaluate. And often we need other people involved in that self-evaluation process, right? We need an external perspective that we don't have, like you give to me or I give to my clients. But the ability to look at the data, separate it from your own opinion of the data, and then make a calm strategic plan for moving forward. Yeah. Massive skill set. Yeah. And I think when we talk about help, one of the things that I think is really important is that everybody that you engage should be a partner to you. There's very little as a business owner that somebody else can just take completely off of your plate. Like we can take a lot of the tasks and responsibilities, but again, we go back to feelings. So first of all, when you look at those numbers, what does it make you feel? And then second, now what? What do we do with this information? Are you going to hire a contractor? Are you going to take away one of these lines of revenue? Are you going to decrease some of these expenses? Like, How can you take actionable steps towards what you want, what you want your business to look like, what you want your life to look like? Starting from numbers are, they're agnostic, right? Like it's not good or bad. If you make a million dollars, for some people, that's amazing. It's like, yes, that's the best idea, best plan of action. But if you were planning to make 10 million, 1 million is not enough. So just seeing the number on a page doesn't actually tell you anything. You need to be able to interpret those numbers and say, what does that mean for me? What was my goal? What was I trying to hit? If you hit a million and you were trying for 10,000, yeah, this is great news. And so All of that has to have context and being able to step back and say, I'm looking at these numbers. How does that fit into the narrative of how I want to show up and what kind of work I want to do 
and the impact that I want to make and the money that I need to eat? Like, how does all of that feed in so that I can make decisions as opposed to just, like I said, looking at financial statements and being like, my profit is this. It's like your profit is this doesn't actually tell you anything. Right. So looking at the financial statements and looking at your profit or flying completely blind and being like, oh, just not going to look at the money, right? That'll sort itself out. Right. It's probably fine. There's money in the bank. It's probably good. I'm like, but is all that your money? Like, do you need to pay taxes? Do you need to pay, you know, bills that have come in that the money just hasn't gone out yet? You need that before you can say, I have enough. Okay. So that is some of the, I love that you just add all the additional context because it's so helpful and you give, you have such powerful thoughts and such calm thoughts for business owners to adopt for themselves. So everyone listening, I'm like, just take Kila's thoughts. (laughs) And I would love to talk then about your best clients. So like people who feel the most confident and they feel maybe the most strategic. Let's talk about what they're doing differently. Yeah. So I think the first thing is you have to see value in understanding your numbers. And again, I think a lot of people don't because they're like, I have money in the bank. I've never run out. I'm probably good. And that's good when things are great. And it is not when you have the ebbs and flows that naturally come with entrepreneurship. So I think the first thing is they see value in the fact that when they're thinking about their numbers, that actually impacts their business. I would say the second thing is they hired help early. And I say that not even just as like a self-promotion, make sure that you hire an accountant, but everybody doesn't need the same thing at the same time. And so I've had clients who just book consulting calls for a year because that's all that they could afford. And they book them three or four times a year to just check in and say, am I doing this right? Can you talk to me and just walk me through the pieces that I'm doing? We've had clients who have booked us for tax service and that's all they're going to need. And then, you know, you grow and you move up or you stay in that same place. And so what I want to tell people is, again, there's no right or wrong. Like everybody doesn't need virtual CFO service. But when you start getting overwhelmed, when things start feeling complicated, get help in whatever way that that looks like. And I think the people that have been successful have started that process early, whether that's identifying an accountant and saying, I know I can't afford you right now, but I'm going to come to your workshops and listen to your podcast until I can do something else. And then when it's time to act, act. To our point earlier, you can make the money, make the money, invest in the help, get that off of your plate, give yourself room back to make a new batch of money so that it can pay for things. I think has been extra valuable because they haven't been in that place. And then I think the third thing is taking advantage of resources. I don't condone YouTube University for most things, especially taxes. But again, if there's a workshop or a podcast or a newsletter or something that can just remind you of the things that you need to be doing, I think it's important to acknowledge you're not a CPA, right? So you're not going to know all of the nuances of all the things. But what we try to do is we work really hard to educate so that you at least know that this should be on your radar. So you can't do all 16 of the steps. But I want you to know that when you can afford to hire help, these are some things that you're going to need to get off of your plate. And our best clients recognize that, take advantage of all of the extras so that by the time it's time to actually sign up for service, one, you have better questions, right? Like you're not using the 30 minutes or an hour that you have to ask questions that we answered in a podcast or that we answered in a newsletter. Instead, you get to take that and say, 
based on what you said, I get this in general. How does this specifically apply to me? And you get more valuable information than, for example, should I be an escort? I'm like, should anyone be an escort? Or should you specifically based on the things that you know be an escort? or elect to be treated as an S-corp. And so I think it also allows you to get more value out of your relationships because you've already taken advantage of all of the stuff that has been built. And then as a result, the questions that you ask are like, okay, so this is about me. This one-on-one is about like what I need specifically and not general questions that now you're using up time to ask that we probably already answered for you somewhere. I want to emphasize the importance of that skill set in any sort of working relationship, including coaching. I'm like, that is so good. Coming to me and being like, hey, like, tell me about deep work. And I'm like, why don't you tell me exactly what you've done and you tell me what you've tried and why it hasn't worked? And then ask me a specific question. Like, I've really trained my clients because this is not a natural skill set that most of us learn, but I train my clients to get the help they need by coming prepared and coming with the right questions and knowing how to get that information. So I love that you emphasize that with your clients as well. Yeah. And even to the point that like we've built a resource library of videos and templates so that if somebody asks something that is out of scope, we can say, hey, this isn't technically included, but here's a video that we made about it to at least get you started. And if you need to dig deeper into that, then we can have a consult or an extra conversation about it. But again, stop expending energy on things that you could make one time and then send whether it's FAQs or podcast or videos or whatever the thing is for coaches, for consultants, that's not where you want to spend your time. Absolutely. If you could implant beliefs into the brains of every business owner that you work with about money and finances, what would it be? What would those beliefs be? I think one of the first ones would be for your service, for the thing that you do, for the thing that you do well, you probably already have everything that you need. So if you are a coach or a consultant or a creative or a lawyer or a therapist and all of those kinds of people that we serve, you're probably already really good at that thing. Now, continuing education is always helpful and you can get better at those things, but like that's the thing that you're good at and also the thing that you need to be paying the most attention to. And so when I think about finances, I think about one, being able to invest in yourself, whether that looks like hiring help or getting additional education on things, but it also looks like prioritizing. Like you are the only you and you're the boss. You decide what you want this business to look like and to be. And so I think my first thing is understanding that what you do makes you money. And then what you invest in builds the business that you want to have. I think that leads to number two, which is that you can always make more money. Always. There's always a way to make more money. Now, the privileged among us get to choose exactly how we do that and who we work with and all of that. And maybe you're not at that place. Maybe you're doing some grunt things that you don't want to do forever, but you know that this is how you get paid. But you can always make the money. And then I would say the third thing is, as much as it doesn't seem like it, especially financially, the world is not out to get you. IRS is not trying to send you to jail. The state is not trying to take your business in. What they want is that you follow the rules. And some of those rules are more complicated than others. And you can use assistance in kind of interpreting what all of that means. But err on the side of 
the first step is not to decimate you. The IRS is not sending you to jail until they've sent you a lot of letters and talked to your lawyers and called you a bunch of times and you just refused to answer them, didn't pay them, and they know that you owe them. The first step is a letter. So you get the letter, you read the letter, you ask for assistance and walking through it, and then you move forward. I think a lot of small businesses lean into this fear, uncertainty, and doubt that like something is trying to steal their whole business. And what I want people to realize is that there are a lot of steps in between that and that you start with step one, you respond to step one, and then you figure out what the next thing is, but that we don't have to live in this constant state of if anything comes, if I get a letter or if they call me, my business is going to close tomorrow. You're not in a position where it's all going to be taken from you immediately. You have time, you have space, you have resources and guidance. There are things that you can do before we get to the whole other end of I'm going to jail or they're shutting down my business. Like that didn't happen at step one. Yes. I think that's a really good reminder to notice how far ahead your brain leaps and to the worst case scenario and being like, okay, well, that's good to know. That's my worst case scenario. Now let's look at every one of the 1 million steps between here and there. And like, how are you doing right now? Like worst case scenario, yes. But like today, can you pay yourself? Can you pay payroll? Are all of the expenses going to get paid? And that's where, again, I go back to this, like looking at your numbers because For me, it has reduced a lot of fear. Like one of the things that I know is there are going to be months that we experience a loss. So when we do taxes, financially, Little Fish is losing money those months because everybody paid us in advance and now I have to pay out to actually get that work done, right? But I know that already. So when I look at March and April, I'm not suddenly like, oh my gosh, we didn't make any money this month. Instead, I'm like, yeah, that's why you save all of the money that you made October through February, because you know, March and April, you're not going to make as much and then it's going to go back up. But if I don't look at the numbers, if I don't look and say, how far off are we in April? Do I need to do something different to be able to cover expenses? If you don't know that, it's very easy to go to the worst case scenario because you have absolutely no information to rely on to tell you how well you're actually doing now. And so you may constantly be thinking that you're standing on the edge of a cliff when you're way better off than you thought you were. So worst case scenario is a million steps away and not three. All that in my personal experience, and I've told you this before, is I had a two-month period of 2021, so last year, in February and March. And I made $0 in February and like not much in March. And I laugh because I had graphed my revenue overall. So I can see overall in the entirety of my business. I cannot find that two-month period on the graph. As in, it is so small and so insignificant that I'm like, oh, where was that? And yet when it was happening, I was completely spinning out and I was like, I'm never going to make a dollar again. And now in hindsight, I look at it, I'm like, tiny little blip on the radar, no biggie. And like you said, I have months now where I make $0. I launch. So my money comes in big waves. And now my reaction to $0 months is plan for this. You've helped me with that so much, but it's so interesting that like a $0 month really is a circumstance that you can have very different thoughts about. And those thoughts totally dictate your feelings. So I'm like, you can either spin out or you can be like, yeah, 
We literally plan for this. And I think about people who want to take sabbaticals, right? So like, you know that you're going to be off for a month in the summer. You're not going to make any money. Like, I mean, I guess if you have some passive, quote, passive income stream, you could make money while you're gone. But most people are not, right? And so you plan around that. You know that you need to make a year's worth of income in 11 months. And so you know that you need to launch, you know, a couple of months before because you're not going to be available to take calls and do all of that in the month of August. So I think that that's one. I think the other part is one of my really close friends, Amber, told me one time that time is just a distance measurement. And so we often think about, I didn't make this in the month of March, or I was planning on making this for 2022 and I didn't. So We're not thinking about the fact that like if I had planned to make money in the month of March and a huge deposit hit on April 1st, technically, yeah, it didn't count in March. But did you notice that it wasn't within that 31 days? And so thinking about that helps to remind us that because time is ongoing, if you want to make $100,000 or $500,000 this year and you make 98 or 490 and then the rest kind of comes up in January you didn't fail your goal they're just a way for us to compartmentalize a distance at which it took us to achieve a certain point and so when you're talking about like the zero dollar months or the months where you have a loss it's also an idea of like yeah but to your point on the graph in the bigger scale that's not what this actually means. That doesn't tell the whole story. It's really just a snapshot of a specific period and not an indicator of how your whole business is doing. I love this. And I've worked with a business coach. And one of the things that she had us do when we were tracking our revenue is we would track year to date and and month to date, but we would also track the last 12 months. And so it's not just from January, like that's how most people calculate, right? January to May. No, we would do the last 12 months. And what I was always finding was when I looked at that number, that number was always going up because I would be making more and more, not always, but on an upward trajectory. And when I looked at the 12-month data, I felt confident. I feel confident. And I'm like, oh, we're good. When I look at, like I'll look at January to May of 2022 and I'll compare it to January of May of 2021. And I'm like, oh, we're good. And so I guess my thing that I learned the hard way is look at the data in a way that serves you, in a way that makes you feel better. Because when you feel better about your finances, you go and you take more action. That's the crazy part. And I'm like spinning out about your data and your finances does not make you go take more action. So that's like, no. Yeah. (laughs) And you, you might need help. Like, that's the other thing. You might need somebody to tell you what it means. So I think a lot of us expect ourselves to understand things that we were never taught. Like, why would you understand how to read a P&L? You didn't have one until now. So now you need to be taught how to look at it. And so being able to look at that information in a way that makes sense for you and you got to have something to compare it against, right? You, If it's the year to date, if it's the last 12 months, if it's again, feelings, if it's, yeah, last year I was making a ton more and I also wasn't sleeping and I never got to get off work. And this year I'm making a little bit less, but I'm working with people that I really want to work with. I'm having the life that I really want. Like all of that brings context into it. And you, we miss that when we're so focused on like, but I am comparing this to this, to this. 
and instead being thinking about how much closer is it bringing you to the life you want to live. And some of that is monetary. And some of it, you realize you don't need as much money as you thought you did because you have time to rest and you have space. And one of the other things that I'll say here, just because I think that it goes unsaid, everybody has a number. And then there's a point at which that change does not make as much of a life change, right? So going from, for example, 50 to 70 is a huge life change. Going from 110 to 130 is not the same kind of life change. And so understanding that also helps you to get to a place of deciding what is enough. Because you may say, okay, I definitely need more than 50 because I live in a high rent district and I need to make this. But then once you get to say 110, it's like, do I need to make 150? Because actually I have just enough clients. I have just enough work. I'm going to brunch as often as I want to. I live on the side of town that I want to. And that extra money isn't really going to change my life that much. Yes, I might be able to take more trips or do, but like, it's not a life changing. I live in a different bracket now because of that. And for everybody, that number and that width is going to be different. But I give that example because entrepreneurs are almost taught to just be consistently striving for growth. Like you should just be getting bigger and you should be expanding and doing all of that. And instead we have to start from a place of like, what is enough? How much time do I want to spend? How much money do I need to live the life that feels comfortable for me? And when we get there, we don't automatically have to look to the next step of like, and now I should double this because doubling it could mean hiring people that you don't want to manage or offering a service that you really don't want to do. How do you get space to be able to do that by starting from a foundational place of what you have to make? I think that's really important to be in the, I hate the word abundance, but be in the abundant space of like, this is enough. <laughs> I think just, it's such an overused word. This is enough. And then my brain goes to, and when you do want to grow, if you want to grow past that point, now you're doing it in a really fun, enjoyable way where you're like, I'm doing this just to prove I can versus I'm doing this to prove to myself that I'm worthy enough, which same. I'm speaking from experience. Same. Also, that I'm not doing this to be like, I need but more so that everything else is icing. Once we get to that baseline of this is what we need to cover expenses, to pay me, to pay my team well, to go on vacation, to do these things. Once we get to that, everything else is icing. Our ability to launch and provide and offer is all, to your point, fun stuff that we get to do that to some extent doesn't really mean anything. It should be valuable. It should be in service of the people that you want to serve. But like if it, quote, fails, cool, we still got enough based on the stuff that we're doing. We're not overextending ourselves in order to create more. Right. Yes. Not at your own expense. One of the things that I always think about, I had this moment, I was taking a shower and I was in Mexico in this little town at a gorgeous hotel. And my brain was just turning. It was like money, money. You have to launch, launch. You need to sell. And I had this moment. I was like, why? And then I was like, so you can relax. And I was like, my dear, you are in a lovely hotel with nothing on your schedule, taking a leisurely shower and about to go sit and have a coffee and do like French Duolingo. I was like, you are literally living the exact thing that you're trying so, it's going to make me cry. I'm like, you are living the exact thing that you are trying so hard for in this moment and you are not seeing it. And because you're not seeing it, 
it'll keep happening and it'll never be enough. It's an addictive cycle in some ways of like, yeah, glad that that's behind me. Let's go to this next thing. And instead of being, to your point, yesterday I woke up, I went to the gym, I came home, I cooked breakfast, I took a shower, I laid around, I sat outside in our backyard with the dog and read in the sun. And that's what I did for most of my morning. And I was like, you do realize you can do this every day, right? And you don't because you get up thinking, I got to check email. I got to get on this thing. And sitting, resting, stopping and saying, I'm already enough. I'm already doing the thing that I wanted to do. I'm already living in that. I don't need any more. And tomorrow it might be a full day of meetings and I got to do all of the things and I got to talk to 50 people. But like I carved this day to the side so that that didn't have to be my life all the time. And when we don't stop and acknowledge that for real, for real, we could just go back to work. The whole point of running your own business was this autonomy to be able to create space for yourself. You don't get PTO. You don't get, you know, somebody's not paying you to go on vacation you eat what you kill, right? And so not- (laughs) It's an interesting choice of expression, but I like it. (laughs) (laughs) So if all of it is on you and you don't take the time to say, hey, reminder, it's already working. You see how you got to sit and rest and do? You, it is never enough. You can never make enough money. You can never hire enough help. You can never do enough things because you didn't acknowledge that the space you wanted to be in, you already live in. Okay. I'm like, if you're hearing it from a freaking CPA and a procrastination coach together, come on. Do it. (laughs) Gotta mean something. (laughs) Yeah. Very much so. Yeah. I got to recover. I'm like, that made me really emotional. And just to hear about your story as well. And I'm like, just thinking of every single person who's like trying to physically rest, but mentally just beating themselves up and trying to work themselves into more action. I'm like, take the freaking moment to realize everything that you've done. I want to say one last thing just that I've learned and then I would love to hear from you on any closing thoughts. Again, I've learned this the hard way in my business. Whatever negative emotions you think are going to come up by looking at your finances, let them. That is a good thing. If you are freaking out every time you look at your numbers, good. Because then you're actually taking the time to look at the truth of your current experience and then you can actually work through that and you can actually get to the other side of it. And I think about all the ways that I've procrastinated with my finances. I even do it with your team sometimes. Sometimes they're like, it's this date. And I'm like, I'll totally get to that. And I mark it in my inbox. And I'm like, crap, I didn't do that. So, (laughs) uh, sorry. (laughs) Then I think about that and I'm like, okay, what do I, what negative emotions do I think I'm going to have to experience in order to get this done or in order to look at these numbers? I want to know what's actually happening for me so I can work through it. It's like any other sort of procrastination is you can either feel the negative emotion, stuff it down, pretend it's not there and suppress it and never work through it. Or you can surface it all, feel absolutely terrible, but then get to the other side. I want to reiterate that, that you need to know. You need to know because otherwise all of the effort that you're putting in is for nothing. That if you don't face your numbers, then how do you know, for example, people will ask me all the time, I want to quit my full-time job and do this. And I'm like, well, how am I supposed to know when you can do that if you don't know where it stands? You need to be able to see if your business isn't making money. 
And again, what lines of revenue do make you money? You need to be able to see where you're over investing. Even at Little Fish, we've had expenses that I'll look back and be like, we shouldn't have paid for that. I could have done that thing. But because I wanted it off my plate so bad, I was like, oh, that's not bad every month. And then when you see cumulatively how much you paid for it, it's like, oh, I shouldn't have outsourced that. And so I think that it gives you the space to figure out what you should be spending on. But I also think that it helps you to drill down on, hey, here's where my numbers are. Here's what I'm spending on. What are my priorities? Like, what do I actually need help with? And whether that's accounting, whether that's mindset shifts, whether that is legal, like whatever your piece is, is your focus, the other pieces will be there when you get to them. And so if your focus right now is I'm procrastinating, I need assistance, I need to hire somebody, do that thing and hold off on the other thing. You can't do all of them at once. Get your six, seven weeks out of the way of putting you on the right path and then pick up the next thing. But you can't do any of that if you don't look at the numbers to start to say, okay, how am I doing? What am I spending money on? What expenses could I reduce that I was spending on because I thought that this was going to be awesome? I think a lot about the business version of paying for all of the TV streaming services, right? Like when there's money in, you're like, oh yeah, I pay for this and I got a professional service for this. And I, when you look at your numbers and they're not as high as you want, that's the ability for you to be like, you know what? I don't even watch that much Netflix. I could probably turn this one off, but you need to be able to see where your money is going so that you know where to make changes. Yeah. Absolutely. I for sure, just by keeping an eye on my own expenses, I've been like, oh, like Dropbox. I used to use it for the podcast. I don't podcast anymore in that way. Great. And I was like wetting it. I mean, I, it's probably what, $50, maybe five months of a $10 charge, but that shit adds up. So just being super mindful of it. Yes. And real quick on that, most people, that's where their money is going. It is almost never, I mean, it is sometimes that I like spent $10,000 on this thing. It's I spent $1,000 10 times and didn't notice. It's the small cuts. And so if you're paying for Dropbox and you're paying for this, that's $8 a month and this, that's $28 a month. By the end of the year, you could have saved thousands. And again, that doesn't require you to work more. Like profit can either come by making more money or cutting expenses. And so cutting expenses is the easiest way not to add anything to your plate. This is... Such good advice. I'm like, everyone go take an inventory unless it's not one of your top priorities right now and then don't do it and intentionally make the decision to delay that. So I'm really glad you emphasize that. And again, we work on eight-week sprints at Half Finished to Done Live. And so, or in Half Finished to Done Live, I should say. And the reason we do that is because I'm like, then you can take one project, you work it all the way to completion, you get the result of that, and then you're ready to go into your next project. Because one of the most troubling thoughts that people have is I need to do it all right now. And I'm like, what will happen always is you'll end up doing almost nothing because you'll feel so completely overwhelmed. So take it one step at a time. Maybe finances is something that you're going to tackle right now, but maybe it's for your next eight-week sprint or the one after that. So all in good time. Yep. Baby steps. You'll always get to the thing that you need to do, but we don't want you to overwhelm yourself and then do nothing when there's an opportunity for you to get really good at this thing and then use that. It all should be stepping stones, right? So once you go through this eight-week sprint program, that mindset, that information that you learn hopefully helps you to get to the finance side to be like, okay, now I feel better prepared to be able to face that. 
almost nothing works in a silo. So everything is just going to be a building block for the next project that you work to tackle. Such a beautiful ending. (laughs) How can people find you and follow up with your work? Yeah, very much so. So we are on Instagram most often. So you can find us at Instagram at Little Fish Accounting. We have a weekly podcast called Fish Food that you can find wherever you listen to podcasts. I try to give you accounting tips and tricks within like, I'd say 15 minutes, but most of them are even less than 10. The idea being that you have a starting place that nobody leaves worse off than when they started with us. And then we have a monthly newsletter that tells you what's going on with Little Fish, deadlines that you should be aware of, and also just like recent news that will help you to do your entrepreneurship journey. And then if you're ready or interested in one-on-one service, you can go to littlefishaccounting.com slash services and see everything that we offer there from tax support to ongoing monthly support at different tiers. Awesome. Thank you so much. I highly recommend people seek you out. You've, again, just been so reassuring, so helpful. Thank you for all you do for me. And thank you for your patience with me as a as client. No problem. <laughs> so good having you on the podcast. Thank you so much for having me. I had a ball. Thank you for listening to the Half Finished to Done podcast. If you're ready to become a self-assured repeat project finisher, the best place to work with me is in my eight-week group coaching program, Half Finished to Done Live. You'll leave our time together with one finished project and the skills you need to finish any project, personal or business in the future. Just head to peakcoaching.co slash HFD live for your next step. Can't wait to work with you.